Welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are continuing our series about the right thing. And we're learning about how to develop conviction within our lives as Christians, while at the same time being reasonable and learning God's grace through the process. Today, we're going to be talking about how to navigate through confusion. And I want you to ask yourself, maybe you've asked this before, how do you determine what the right thing is when the Bible isn't necessarily clear about it? Or what about the moments where it's like a peculiar, unique situation? Is it just like one universal law for all? Or is there understanding and grace for those, those different moments? I, today, I'm going to show you how to interpret what's available. I'm going to teach you how to use motives as a determining factor for convictions. And I'm going to teach you the importance of perspective and when it comes uh, when it comes to dif differentiating opinions. I want to share a first moment when, for me, I started to think differently, uh, or not differently, but just started to think about the aspect of having multiple opinions about an idea of conviction. And it was a moment where I was in church and I heard the preacher from stage just condemning the heck out of people who played video games. And they went as far to say that men are acting like children when they play video games. And it was just this very harsh, harsh conviction that they were teaching and promoting it as the Bible says, the Bible shows us. And I looked at one of the deacons who I knew played video games and they just kind of looked kind of scared <laughs> and that the pastor didn't know that they were that they also played video games even though they're a leading member of the church. And I, I would hear all these mo uh, other preachings where it's just kind of like condemning the thought. And for me, I had just this thought, just devil's advocate, that the idea of it being an idol, the idea of it not being a, a, a healthy hobby, I, I can understand a perspective, but to say that it's just spiritually wrong or biblically wrong, the same things that I heard that preacher say and other preachers say in efforts to try to condemn the simple aspect of video games, if I were to use those same principles about like say sports or watching movies, well then everything is an idol. Everything is unhealthy for you. Everything is distracting you from God. And see, I, I saw that the same things that were used to condemn one thing, when applied to other things, their own the their own interests were affected. Their own interests were condemned. And so let's really dive in to understand how to interpret a conviction, how to interpret whether it's wrong or right for you. And to start off, I want us to first look at how to interpret through what's available. Rather than looking at where the Bible is silent, let's look at what the Bible actually has to say. And I want us to understand that you, as Christians, we should never be satisfied with what you know. Never be satisfied with what you know. You should always be growing in your thought, growing in your mind. Because so many people, we attempt to project that all of the Bible is simply black or white. It's, it's just either this or that. And I wanted to just pull some examples out for you because that I feel like don't fit into that black or white box. For example, some confusing moments in scripture is like when Jeremiah lied about speaking to the king in the book of Jeremiah. It was to protect his own life. The king told him to lie. He lied. But we know that lying is wrong. But here, a prophet, a man of God, lies and he isn't condemned to hell. We see Naaman, when he is healed by Elisha, 
he requests that when he goes in to be a hand of the king, that he asks if he could, it's allowed for him to bow down and worship, not for his own heart to worship, but because he's going in for the king to worship their gods. And he says, I will not be bowing down in my heart. I'll just be going through the acts because of my occupation. And Elisha says, it's permissible for you. I mean, we see a moment where he says, go to Naaman, go, it's okay. It's not a big deal. God knows your heart. Well, I feel like if it was the same case for if someone were to ask that about churches today, we'd condemn them to tell you need to choose God or your job. Another moment is when Rahab, when she lied about hiding the Jews, uh, the, the, the spies, the Jewish spies who were seeking out the line, the, the land. What about when Jesus healed on the Sabbath? These are confusing moments. How about when David lived by fear? I mean, well, this since 2020, we heard Christians say that you can't live by fear. You have to live by faith. What about David when he lived by fear, hiding in caves? And how about Paul when he publicly rebuked Peter about his racism and segregation, even though Peter was a higher level of authority in the church as leadership goes? See, these are confusing moments in scripture to where we could get other scripture verses and condemn these acts. But in the moments that these things are happening in the scripture being told, we don't see it heavily condemned. In fact, the Bible almost gives a glimpse of like understanding for the situations that they were in. Here's some gray areas of scripture that I don't think the Bible really talks enough about when it comes to being clear about it being black or white. It's like this gray area. See, what about what exactly classifies an idol? So many churches, so many messages today make try to project that almost everything can be an idol to you. Even food is an idol. And it's this constant progression of you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent of this, that, this, that, this, that. And yet I don't feel like scripture clarifies exactly what those idols can be. We're just kind of making it up as we go. And some other areas that are great, masturbation. There's not any scripture that clearly identifies masturbation. And yet 97% of men, 67% of women have masturbated or continually masturbate. What about drugs and alcohol consumption? I mean, how many people have had questions about marijuana? It's a plant. God made it. Is it okay if I recreationally use it? Before the argument was, it's always illegal. Well, now it's legal. It's legal in a lot of states. And so what about these areas? What about yoga? There's some Christians who condemn it as idol worship while others think it's not a big deal. Social media, video games, modern entertainment. Are we going to classify all of these things as idols or are we going to just pick and choose? What about being a military combatant and where it's literally your job to kill? Is that okay or is it just murder that's wrong? Voting or having political opinions. I mean, People have used scripture where the Paul says to honor those who are in place of authority, pray for those that are instituted by God to, as a reason or excuse to not even vote, to not even give a political opinion or be involved in politics. And so, see, we have all these gray areas where scripture can either be a, for it or against it. And we have to understand that there are, uh, there are others who believe that all scripture is literal and then there's some who believe that all scripture is allegorical. And if we're going to interpret and understand what scripture is saying on light of some of these subjects, 
I think that we need to understand how we're reading it. I don't think everything is literal, and I definitely don't think that everything is allegorical. I believe that each verse, every single verse, should be read in the intention that it was meant that it was written. For example, if it's if it's a recording of history, we should read it as a, a, a form of history not as an example to be repeated. When David slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband, that was not an example for us to follow. That was history being shown. Or what about uh, when it's a hyperbole? I mean, if it's a hyperbole, then uh, we should read it as a hyperbole. Jesus, when he's saying to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye, Perhaps he is just trying to make a point rather than giving us instructions on how to handle or avoid sin. Look at what Luke chapter 10 verse 25 through 26 says. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? Here's a key emphasis. How do you read it? How do you read it? See, in this verse, Jesus implies that Scripture can be interpreted with multiple reasonings, with multiple outcomes. The entire Bible is compiled and written for the purpose of interpretation by humans. I, I've heard before, I, I remember sharing a thought on a certain verse or a perspective, and I heard some. Uh, I read some comments in which people would tell me, Who's, whose perspective are you looking at? Through your perspective or God's perspective? God does not have a perspective on Scripture. He simply is. He, he, he is the beginning and the ending. The Scriptures were not meant for God. The Scriptures were meant for us. So it's not about His interpretations. It's about the intention of the inspiration. And it is our number one resource. The Bible is our number one resource, and it should be considered from multiple perspectives. Anyone that declares that they have the absolute perspective of what the inspiration of Scripture is meant to say, with absolute reason, with no question, no doubt, you are making yourself out to be a very high level of superiority. To say that your view is the single most best view without accepting any other viewpoints, your limited reasoning instead of having compounded reasoning. And if we want to really draw out correct answers from scripture, then we need to allow multiple perspectives to help us funnel into the essence and the heart of what the scripture is saying. If you only allow one person to interpret, you're limiting it to their worldview and their bias. For example, Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says, "In that way you will be acting as true children for your Father in heaven, of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends on uh, he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike." So emphasis here is that my first interpretation of this verse may be that God sends both good and bad onto all people no matter what. When it says that he sends both sunlight and rain, kind of just modern thought is like rain is gloomy, sunlight is positive, right? And, and so I could think that he sends both good and bad. But if I allow my me to, myself to have other perspective I would find that rain is seen as provision to a farmer, that it's not bad, but good. And 
And then I can consider that the people in Scripture were directly affected by their agriculture. So in this verse, through more reasoning, through compounded perspective, I come to a completely different conclusion of what the verse means compared to when compared to my initial thoughts of what I thought just from my own reasoning. Just consider the fact that the religious leaders in the New Testament, that they were characterized into multiple groups because they interpreted scriptures differently. For Just for example, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They all read the same Torah, but they had completely different beliefs about what it meant. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, while the Pharisees did believe in eternal life. And the fact that just our Christian faith has literally hundreds of different denominations should show you that scripture can be widely interpreted and of course misinterpreted. So we should really do our due diligence by trying to examine scripture wholeheartedly while being open to other perspective. People often ignore or reject other people's views because they are different or contrary to what they believe or even what they were taught. But those who were saved by Christ were only saved because they were open to hear reasoning Think about that for a moment. We had, when Jesus was walking the earth, only those who were saved in that moment were those who were open to reasoning. They're open to hearing something new when Christ shared it with them. All of the Pharisees, they were not willing to hear Christ's perspective. They were not willing to, to, to have any idea that they could be wrong in some type of reasoning. But only those who were saved, and I think the key emphasis here, is those who were willing to accept that they could be wrong. That's humility. That's humility. And what I'm trying to project is that we should simply know why we believe what we believe. Is that so wrong or is that exactly what Christ leads us to do? To the to, He leads us to behave. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, it says, But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have been they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The reason I wanted to share the scripture before we move on is that even in the areas where it seems like the Bible is silent, even in the areas where it seems confusing, that we can use scripture to still draw clear conclusions, that we can use the abundance of scripture to draw out the heart of what the issue is. And it makes me think about a, a, a moment in which it was so pivotal in my faith, in a moment where I realized that what I had been believing was not what I really believed. It, it, I felt like it was biblically inaccurate. And it was a moment which uh, I remember witnessing to this homeless guy right outside of this convenience store, kind of in the hood of Louisiana. And I started trying to tell him about Jesus. And his name was Maurice. And he had such a raspy voice and his hands were, were like leather. I mean, he had some rough hands. And as I was talking to him, I mean, 
he had such a strong liquor on his breath. And at the time, I was, I was kind of being bred for this very legalistic form of Christianity. And I believed at the time that anyone who drank was not really a Christian because they were relying on alcohol for their peace instead of Jesus alone. And, and that they had not fully accepted Jesus as their Savior if they were to trust in alcohol. And that's this, this legalistic mindset I had before because that's what I was taught and that's what I believed. And as I was talking to Maurice, it was clear that he had been drinking, but it was also clear that he loved the Lord. I mean, he I felt like he almost knew more scripture verses than I did. And the more and more he spoke, the more and more that I genuinely believe that he loved Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I mean, here he is, this homeless guy, who is telling me that he wouldn't be able to make it if it wasn't for Christ in his life, that he's he's literally declaring him his Lord, his Savior. And I went home really perplexed that night because before that point, I had been taught that this gray area was crystal clear. And I was so confused about this situation because everything I've been taught told me that he's not really a good Christian. But as I was talking to him, my heart felt conflicted about that legalism. And through, as I thought about different scriptures, as I prayed for the Holy Spirit to guide me, I came to this conclusion where I just settled in the book of Romans where it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. And I I came to this conclusion that night that I believed Maurice would go to heaven, (laughs) that I believed that he was saved, that he had Jesus in his heart. And I'm telling you, it was a moment in which I accepted the fact that one, I was wrong, and that the other part, the number two, is that I accepted the fact that there were some gray areas that I was not certain about. And it was so pivotal for me to grow in my faith because it allowed me to, to, to be humble and learn more. And I, it was such a monumental change for me in my faith. It completely changed the trajectory of where I was going in my Christian walk that I I feel like I still kind of honor Maurice in a way because all throughout that conversation, he he kept telling me, you dig it, you feel me. And and even today, instead of saying amen, I just affirm what I learned from Maurice and I'll say things like, you feel me, you dig what I'm saying because it reminds me that I'm still learning, that I should not be satisfied with what I know, that my faith needs to grow more. And so that's a little side uh, a little side knowledge about where the history comes from, how, even how I preach. Now let's go into our next point, which is identify your motive. Identify your motive. Motives of your heart reveal the morality of your decisions. Motives of your heart reveal the morality of your decisions. I think that The best way to describe a gray area is really with an analogy itself. The word gray can be be spelled with either an A or an E, but both are still correct. Isn't that hilarious? That when it comes to the gray areas for you, sometimes to help identify which is the correct way for you, you must first look at your heart and intentions because you may spell it with an A, someone else may spell it with an E, but both could be correct. And so for you, you have to identify what your heart is about the matter. 
I want to read a couple of verses in, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17 through 19. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. Man, p- praise God that that's what it takes. And others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. A couple verses down, verse 23, it says this, But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. See, what Paul is saying in this verse is that it boils down to your heart. That we shouldn't be fixated about as much of what others are doing, but that God, Paul is saying, worry about you. That if it is sin for you, then it is sin for you. But our job is not to condemn everybody else, but to build others up. And a genuine heart that desires to connect with, with its creator, that is exactly what God wants the most. And I think that if we make that our motivation, it's hard to go wrong. Make your motivation to please God. I feel like Paul is in this scripture, he's consistently trying to show us, to show people that it's not as much about having permission to do something or not, but rather it's about connecting with God and building other people up. It, it makes me think about this moment where I, I remember hearing a, a popular preacher named Tim Ross. He gave this like leadership track and after his his uh, his message about leadership, there was kind of this open time for Q and A where people could go up and, and talk to him one on one. And I remember waiting this long line. And one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to him was because he I had remembered seeing this this video he did with a group called I Am Second, where he openly talked about his struggle with pornography and about how. When he was a kid, he was molested, and it wasn't until he openly talked about it that he started this path of freedom. And man, I was molested when I was a teenager. I struggled with pornography, among all these other things. And for me, when I heard that message, it really helped me in my beginning steps of finding closure and freedom. And I just, I genuinely just wanted to go up and tell him thank you for being so transparent and and share that his story made a difference in my life. And as I was waiting in this line, the people in front of me, two young guys, they were waiting just as long as I was. And and when they got to him, their question for this very, very well-known preacher, all the things that they could ask, and they go up to him and I ask, hey, we want to know your opinion about tattoos. And I, all I could think was, what a silly question to ask. <laughs> Out of all the things you could ask to maybe possibly grow your faith, you're concerned about getting permission to do something that you simply want to do. And with these kinds of questions, when, when, when you're looking for something just for permission to do something, I think you just got to boil down to what the heart is of it. I mean, we could use scripture to justify or condemn almost anything. Let's just go to the scripture. Why do you really want to do that? What is it that you're really wanting to accomplish? And, and derive the innocence from that. And just simply see, I think most times it's for selfish reasons. And I want to be clear, when I say selfish reasons, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But it's like getting a tattoo. Don't try to pretend that like getting a tattoo is really to show glory to God and, and 
and showing other people that other people may say this tattoo and give their life to Christ. Hey, let's just get down to the brass tacks. You just think it looks cool and you'd like it on your body, like it, as, a, as an accessory, as a part of you. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. You could just own that. Like, I like how it looks. I like this image. I like what it means to me. And I think it looks cool. That's, that's innocent. That's great. If you want to do that, you feel good about that, then do it. Don't try to pretend that it's something more than it's not. And just get down to the heart of it and determine, is this, will this path be healthy for me? Will it be healthy for my faith? Or will it be neutral? Will it not really make a difference? Or the third option, is it negative? Is it toxic? Is it unhealthy for me? It really can only be one of those three things. And if it's healthy for you, or good for you, or if it's just neutral, it's not really a give or take, that's fine. But if it's if it will lead to something bad, then we need to be really, really, really cautious in determining whether or not you should actually do that, regardless of what you could conclude from deriving different scriptures. For me, there's a moment in my faith where I wanted to start drinking again. And I, it, I got to a place where I could biblically justify it. I, I don't, and I want to be clear that I do not think that drinking is a sin. I don't think that. And I don't think anything less of people who do drink. For me, I'm now like 13 years sober. And there's a moment in my life where I was, I was really considering to allow myself to have the occasional drink. And I, I started trying to justify it with scripture, with all these different reasons. Well, I think that really just helped me to kind of keep the edge off. I was getting stressed out. And when I really looked at the heart of it, I was wanting to use it as a coping mechanism. And I want us to just, for me, what I unpacked is when I got to the heart of it, I was wanting to use alcohol as a way to escape. And in my history of addiction, I knew when I was just really honest with myself that that was only going to lead me into an unhealthy place. It was only going to lead me into a dark place, into a toxic place. Even if it was one step away from God, that's not a place I want to go. Maybe it's not going to completely alter my life, but if it's one step taking me away from God, then I think that's that's a, a really bad step to make. And for me, even though I could biblically justify it, I had to go back to this conviction of knowing that this thing that may be okay for anybody else to do was wrong for me. And just like we see in this verse, that there's simply moments of that to where it's wrong for you, but it's not for somebody else. That's what it was for me in drinking. That's what it is for me in a lot of other things. And in the same way, it's funny how there may be a moment where I'll meet someone who they think it's okay to drink occasionally. And for me, I don't think it's okay to drink. But we, if we start pointing the finger back and forth at each other, we could find different things to condemn each other about. Maybe they don't. Maybe they drink, but they don't play any video games, right? And I, and then they look at me like, "How could you allow uh, that to be that sorts of entertainment to be an idol in your life? That's so unhealthy. That's so unchristian." And I could throw it back on them like, "I can't believe you allow alcohol to be a source of peace." And I could be. We could go back and forth being superior to one another. But at the end of the day, that's not what conviction is meant for. Conviction is for you. It's not for somebody else. And we should strive 
to build each other up rather than tear each other down. If it brings you closer to God, then praise God. It it doesn't mean you get to hold that standard over somebody else. And that leads us to our last point, which is whenever you decide that conviction for yourself, whatever, however confusing or gray it may have been, and you're making a decision for it to be your conviction, initiate it with grace. Initiate it with grace because no person is more superior than another person. I want to share a couple of verses in verse First Corinthians chapter eight verses one through three. It says, "Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge, but this about this issue. But while knowledge make us makes us feel important, makes us feel superior. Knowledge makes us feel superior." It is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. See, Paul, he, man, he is just awesome. He, he's making this clear point that it doesn't matter. You're talking about Paul, wrote 70% of the New Testament. He is very knowledgeable. And he's telling you that while knowledge may make you feel important, it's love that edifies. And do not use your superiority, your knowledge to be feel more important than someone else or to crush someone else's spirit. That it is love that truly edifies. And so it's not our job to project our knowledge or conviction over others, our man-made standards onto others, but it is our job to love like Jesus loved. And I want to be clear that I'm talking about these gray areas especially, these confusing moments. I'm not talking about if someone is doing something very intentionally uh, biblically sinful or wrong and hurting others in the process that we need to just love them to grace. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking about the gray areas, the confusing moments, the things that are not clear in the Bible that we need to be exceptionally graceful about these things, that we should lean into the error of love rather than lean into the error of thinking that we know everything and end up being wrong. Religion and religious practices have consistently been used to segregate and to make certain people out to be more superior than others. Religion all throughout history has done this. And our faith from the very beginning in the early church has been subject to the same kind of attacks of religion. In this verse, Paul makes just this clear imagery, this clear imagery of how love for God and love for one another should be the foundation of everything we do. If there's a doubt that you could be wrong, lean on love. And it's it's not about being... It's not about being a better Christian. We're not about being a better Christian by different religious acts, but rather it's being more Christian to one another. It's a big difference of thinking that you're a better Christian and then being a better Christian to others through grace and through love. And I want to share another verse in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 8. There's a little long scripture. It says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Can we post that on some Facebook, some Twitter, some Instagram? Don't argue about what they think is right or wrong. Just the Osbury revival, I don't know how many people have been arguing about whether it's right or wrong. And that's about this aspect of people simply going to worship God. Come on. 
It goes on to say, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? This is what the Bible is telling us. This isn't what I'm saying. This is what scripture is saying. Who are you to condemn somebody else's servants? Their own master, talking about Jesus, will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So Paul is saying that's between them and God. It's not between you and them, but between them and God. And uh, praise, we pray God that whatever they decide, that it's for the best and betterment of their salvation. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you practice, whatever day you choose, is acceptable. Those who worship on the, the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This scripture is amazing for this context because Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you freely give of yourself or deprive yourself for God. If your intention, if your heart is to honor God, it's really hard to go wrong. That's what he's saying. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. The whole everything, everything boils down to if you can honor God, then honor God. If you're trying to honor God, then that's great. And he goes on to say that he cares about just simply honoring God in his life and doing whatever it takes to bring others to Christ. These verses perpetuate that each of us are simply trying to do our best. That's all we're trying to do is do our best to honor God in our lives and that we should respect that of one another, that each of us are simply trying our best. No one is called to be God's hitman. No one is called to instill strict religious standards on anyone else. We are all called to do our best in holiness and good works while bringing as many people to Christ as we can. Each person can work out their individual details of how that gets done in their own lives themselves. If they want advice, they want counsel, they can ask you. But don't be going around behaving like it's your duty to correct every other believer out there. You're not God's hitman. While we can openly share what we may, what may have helped us in growing, I'm not trying to say you can't share your story, we can share what helps us grow in our faith. We shouldn't create new religious standards and expectations for others to follow. Let the Bible be the Bible. Amen, right? Can y'all feel that? Let the Bible be the Bible and show grace and love to your neighbor whom Jesus Christ died for on the cross. We're not trying to rewrite scripture. Let us just love our neighbor like Jesus told us. Because why? 
He died for them on the cross. So why are we crushing people's spirits by putting these, these, these heavy burdens of religious practice onto them when that's the very thing Jesus tore down, if you remember from the Gospels, how he spoke to the Pharisees. And be sure of this, no matter how much you feel like you have your faith in your Christian walk on lock, you may feel like you got it all together and that it, it gives you this validation to tell other people how to live and breathe as Christians. You may feel like you got it on lock. There will be days and times where you need others and God to extend grace to you. You're not exempt because nobody is perfect. And maybe throughout this message, that's kind of like a resounding thing for you. You're realizing that you have not been perfect. Maybe you're thinking about your own heart and your own motives. And maybe you realize today that you've been using Christ himself as hell insurance rather than as a savior to your soul. Rather than looking to God as a heavenly father, you've only been looking to him as uh, the the great the the universe who gives you things, maybe you're just having this conviction rising up in your heart that you've and you realize that you've never made a decision to clearly put your trust in Jesus, and you want to do that today. If that is you, just there to yourself, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, I want you to just have a simple prayer. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's simply saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, acknowledge who he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's all it takes to start this journey, this relationship with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. God wants to have that conversation with you personally. And I encourage you, if that is you, to have that conversation today. Don't, don't let another 10 minutes go by, another day go by, another week go by. Just make today the day. Even write it down that today I made a decision. Get a journal or something. Put in your notes on your phone and just make that time now. With all that being said, I'm so grateful for you being a part of our service online today. I hope that made a difference in your life and that it edified your faith. If, if, you, if Grave Top Church has made a difference for you if, and you want, to help, uh, you want to help us to continue to make a difference in others, you can do that by giving today. And I want to be clear that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to give. You can donate out of a genuine heart because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Right before that verse, it says, do not give out of compulsion. So as I, I say this, if you have it on your heart to donate to Gravetop Church Day, one, it is an incredible act of worship that compares to nothing else. Two, we are simply stewards of that gift. It is so personal between you and God. But when you do give, it helps us to continue to make an impact for, for other people. So if you could do that, if that's on your heart today, all you have to do is go to gravetopchurch.com, click the donate tab, and you can give online, or you can give through our app, which is also accessible online uh, through our website. With all that being said, I'm so grateful for y'all being a part today. Have a great rest of your day. We love you so much. Bye, Gravetop family.